Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 355. But you got to take the ego out and recognize that there are people who are smarter than you. There are people who are more talented than you. And if you can get them to work with you to work, whether as partners or to hire them, do not be intimidated by their skills. Learn from them. Capture them. Because better that they work for you than someone else. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Hey guys, would you like to know the exact marketing strategy a restaurant owner used to generate over $36,000 in sales from just $400 in Facebook ads? Would you like to know how a bar owner doubled her Tuesday night business in just four weeks for just $50 a week? Go to freebrsbook.com right now and get a copy of the industry's number one selling marketing and promotion book, Bar and Restaurant. Success. This book reveals the step by step marketing plan that created these results so you can apply them in your own business. Get on it. Is your restaurant so busy that sometimes guests have to wait 20, 30, maybe even 60 minutes to get sat? Do they ever get so fed up that they just get up and go somewhere else? No Way manages waitlists digitally so that diners can join the waitlist from home and know exactly when to show up. With No Way, you never feel too busy because guests never feel like they have to wait. Check out nowait.com slash Unstoppable for a special offer just for Restaurant Unstoppable listeners. Again, that's nowait.com slash unstoppable. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you <laughs> Michael Krupp. And we're laughing right now because this is like the third uh, swing of the bat we've taken to try to get this interview going. And uh, Michael Krupp, are you feeling unstoppable today? <laughs> well, well, you know, previously, Eric, I was unstoppable as the electric grid in Kingston, New Hampshire during the summer <laughs> Form. Now, as I'm, I'm as unstoppable as AT and T's 4G network uh, in in Berkshire County, Massachusetts. So, yeah, 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 I'm unstoppable. In Absolutely. Other, in other words, that's really not saying too much because my power went down. <laughs> Uh, his <laughs> his Wi-Fi is giving him trouble, but we're going to do our best to get through this interview It's together. a tough business. Eric, it's a tough business. Uh, so Michael Krupp is an eclectic, impassioned businessman with a proven history of pushing Boston's uh, restaurant and retail boundaries. He co-owns an overseas business development at Area 4's three locations, including A4 Arcade, which is an arcade in his mobile wood fire catering business. Uh, he tackled the Area 4 project with the same unrelenting drive to set trends that he has carried throughout his career and he's killing it we were talking before uh, the first time we tried to record this just countless uh, best of accolades for pizza in Boston which which isn't uh, an easy thing to do and that's from the day you started like we mentioned before the very first day you guys have gotten the best of pizza in Boston yeah, you know, Eric, we've been very fortunate, and, and uh, we've, we've been able to win a Best of Boston, Boston's Best, one of these local Best of Awards every year that we've been open. We've, and not always for the same shop, but whether it's the Boston shop, the Cambridge shop, when we had the Somerville shop, now the arcade, um, we, 
people like what we do. Uh, and I'm very appreciative of that. And I can't wait to find out why people like what you do and what it is about you that is so <laughs> likable. Uh, but first, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success, a success quote or a mantra. What do you have for us? So, so, so you asked me this in, in, in the first recording, and, and it took me off guard. And, and, and the quote that popped in my head is, is there's a, there's a quote from the Jizza, the genius from the Wu-Tang Clan that, that sort of lives <laughs> in my head from their second record. And it's about, it's about rapping, but it's got this quote, too many songs, weak rhymes, it's mad long. And then he goes, make it brief, son, half short and twice strong. And that idea of making something half short and twice strong is something that's carried me throughout my business career, throughout my life. And I think it translates very well into what we do. Um, you know, pizza is, is pizza. Uh, it's, there's nothing complicated about pizza. But a lot of people had frivolous activities, toppings, pizzazz, whatever you want to call it, while trying to take away from the product. Uh, pizza isn't just a vehicle for sauce and cheese. It's a, it's a, it's a full embodiment of everything that's wonderful about baking uh, and cooking with fire. And so that's what we do. We make a product. We make it twice strong. We make it twice as good. Uh, and, and half long, it's, it's a quick bake pie. It's, it's three minutes. But it also just means that we're taking away any of the extra stuff that might detract from the experience of just eating pizza. Yeah, I love it. I love that quote. And it just reminds me of so much of just, you know, in this industry, there's a lot of people who are just trying to do a lot of things. They're trying to be the best at everything, but you can be so much better if you put all that energy into doing one thing or a few things really well. It's easier on you. It's easier on your team, and you can carve out a niche, especially in a city like Boston. Uh, and doing one thing really well is so impactful, uh, and that's what I'm I mean, hearing from you. Well, that's why he's the Jizza. That's why he's yeah. smart, smart man. You know, awesome. He Harvard for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this podcast really is about the person behind the restaurant, how they got to where they are today. So where did it all start for you? Take us back to uh, <laughs> when, you know, first, what were you doing before hospitality? And what, bring us there. So it's funny. Um, I got, I got a. I don't know if it's the same story or different stories, everyone else, but I needed a break from my profession. And, and uh, almost my whole life, I've been in the real estate business. I've done other things. I worked, I spent a couple of years in the music industry, working for Universal Music. I did video production for Def Jam back in the day. I've done retail. Um, but, but real estate was always something I had done. And, and to be honest with you, I got a little burnt out of, uh, of, of cubicle life relatively young in my career. I was, I was 28 years old. I had already been doing real estate for almost a decade. Uh, and I need a break. I need a shift. And so I got together with a, with a buddy of mine at the time and we wanted to open a retail shop because that was always a fallback. So we came up with this idea for, uh, this is 2007, um, for this concept retail shop in Fort Point, which at the time was nothing. Um, and we knew that we needed something to draw people there and people wouldn't necessarily travel for clothes, but they would for food and drink. So uh, I teamed up with, uh, with Michael Levitin, and in 2007, we opened a place called the Achilles Project, Achilles and Persephone, in, uh, in Fort Point in Boston. And it was, to say it was a little ahead of the time was, was an understatement. It was about 10,000 square feet of mixed-use space that was uh, a high-end clothing boutique, a nonprofit art gallery, a high-end restaurant um, in you know, this upcoming urban area that unfortunately, again, we opened in 2007. If I had a crystal ball to pick the worst time to open a new business, uh, I couldn't have picked better. Maybe if I had chosen the Great Depression, but we literally opened up in the midst of the worst economic uh, uh, environment since the Great Depression. So sadly, 
uh, we only lasted a year and a half. We did win a bunch of awards. The uh, American Architecture Association gave us best new retail spot. We won a bunch of best in Boston, yada, yada, yada. It was a really, really cool space. Unfortunately, timing didn't work, and we had to shutter our doors after about a year and a half. Mm. There was a, it was disappointing, extremely disappointing. Yeah. Um, nobody likes to lose business. Nobody likes to lose money, which, which I did. Um, but there were a lot of lessons learned, and most of the greatest lesson was, it turns out, I hate the retail business. Let me say that again. I hate the retail business, but <laughs> I love the service industry, and I love the food business. So the team that opened Persephone with me was, uh, was Michael Levitin uh, and Jeff Pond. Uh, and the three of us picked ourselves up after a bit of a bruising. Uh, the situation with the economy settled down. We are in the midst of the recovery, and that's when we went back to a fallback idea we had. We always wanted to open pizza. Even when we had Persephone, we were looking at little places around Four Points just to do a little pizza shop. And so we picked ourselves up, and, and a couple of years later, we, um, we opened the first Area 4 uh, in Cambridge, in Technology Square. Um, and, and, and we just, we just ran with it. And that's, yeah. that's sort of how I got this bug. Um, my first job ever, I was 13 years old. I was a bus boy, but that was the extent of, of my service industry experience. Um, I knew how to run businesses. I knew numbers. I knew I had got reasonably good taste and I knew that the important thing here was finding the right partners, which, which we did. So we opened up area four and rest as they say is history man a couple things to point out here first like just the power of silver linings looking at a horrible situation and looking looking at the best side of it and for you that was well you know if, if there was a time uh to fail it's during you know the worst you know economic downturn since the great depression and it was an it was an environmental factor you had no control over but at least you had like uh, a reason to get out of retail you hated it so it's a it's a silver lining like you look at the positive things it was out of your control and the power of buoyancy is the other thing of bouncing back of looking at something taking the experience taking what you learned from that experience for you you learned you hate retail uh and now bouncing back with the same energy that same passion to do something that you do love which for you was hospitality uh anything you want to share from what i just shared well, no, I think you're 100% right, and I think it's, it's important to – there's a couple points there that are all very true, um, uh, and, and, and loving what you do is a key one, especially when it comes to the service industry. And, and you know, I say hate. Hate is a strong word. I actually shouldn't use that word because it, it, it embodies things that I don't really want to get into in my life, but, but I strongly dislike retail. And one of the things I strongly dislike about retail, but what I really like about what we do at Area 4 is that, listen, we were selling high-end clothes. There's nothing wrong with that. People love to buy nice, beautiful things. We sold nice, beautiful things, nice, beautiful, expensive things. But at the end of the day, uh, it was kind of difficult. You're, you're a salesman at the end of the day. You're selling a product to them that they don't necessarily need and that they're spending a lot of money on. The beauty of what we do at Area 4 is that we've, we've created this, this perfect gift wrap package for you in a sense because we do have a great product. I mean, I, I traveled the globe, Eric, eating pizza, and I've eaten at some of the best, many of the quote-unquote best pizza places in the country. And again, it's pizza. That you sounds know, awful, really by the way. That sounds miserable, eating at the best oh, pizza. it's a terrible <laughs> life. It's a terrible life. Somebody's got to do it. I make sacrifices for the, for the greater good. But, you know, the thing is, is I've yet to come across a pizza that I'm like, yeah, this is, this is much better than my pizza. I mean, we, we do sell, I think in my heart of hearts, we've got 
certainly the best pizza in Boston, but I challenge anyone, and I mean this legitimately, to come up and give me a slice that you may have a slightly better pizza, you may have a slightly worse pizza, but there's no pizza out there that's so much of a game changer versus ours. We've got something really special. And that's the beauty of what we do is I'm selling you a product that I know you're going to like. I know from the beginning, unlike if I'm selling you an expensive pair of jeans that I don't know where they came from, I don't know what the labor cost was, I don't know anything about it except that it's got an expensive price tag and you want it, but you don't really want it. When you come to a restaurant, you know you're going to get something. You're there. It's a contract. As soon as you walk in, you're going to buy food from me. I am, in turn, going to provide you with the best possible food and the best possible service experience. It's very different from a retail experience where you may walk in, browse, leave. That's not my fault, your fault. That's, that's the nature of the business. And my job in the retail business was sort of to get you to buy things that you may or may not actually want or need. Mm. That's what I love about sort of the service industry. It's an all-encompassing business. The, the, the other thing, too, that I just, want to, I just want to make sure is very, very clear to the, to the listeners, I cannot stress enough the importance of good partnership. And I can't stress enough the importance of finding and working with people who are smarter than you. Yes, dude. You're letting me up right now. I literally wrote down uh, when you said it the first time, like Area 4 is all about finding the right partners. And I was like, this is where we're coming back. When he's done going on this this rant, which was an awesome rant, by the way, uh, we're coming back to this. But you're you're there already. So, yes, partnerships. It is so crucial. You know, for better or for worse, there's a lot of egos in the service industry. It could be egos from the kitchen. It could be egos from the front of the house. It could be egos in design, whatever it is. Um, and I get that. It's part of what we do. We're, we're, all, we're all showmen or showwomen in some, set, some, some, some ways. That's why we do what we do. But you've got to take the ego out and recognize that there are people who are smarter than you. There are people who are more talented than you. And if you can get them to work with you to work, whether as partners or to hire them, do not be intimidated by their skills. Learn from them, capture them, because better that they work for you than someone else. Uh, and you have, we've, we've all got places to learn. So partnership is the number one key to success. I don't care what your business is. I don't care what you do. Find people who are smarter than you and never, ever, ever think you're the smartest person in the world. Wow. Oh man, um, you're singing like beautiful things into my ears right now. You're whispering like 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 love, like uh, like whispers. I don't know. Like I'm super pumped because this I, is just I, I, kind of, like great advice right now. Uh, well, I mean, it's at this time that I should tell you I'm doing this interview totally naked. Oh I'm man, totally naked, <laughs> great, yeah. even better. So let's <laughs> uh, let's dive into this. We can't just stop there. Uh, give us some actionable advice on things you did to really surround yourself with these incredible people? Like what do you think is at the core of attracting greatness onto yourself? So there's a couple things. One, I, I, I listen, I'm an atypical restaurant person in the sense that I don't really necessarily travel within the tight knit service industry circles. I certainly know my fair share of people in the industry, particularly Boston. And I love the scene. I mean, that's why we do what we do. But more importantly, I surround myself with good people, whether they're restaurant people or not restaurant people. Um, and I, I think that if you ask around, the general consensus on Mike Clough is hey, he's a little wacky, but he's a good guy. Uh, I'm an honest guy. I'm honest with my guests and I'm honest with the people who work for me and work with me. I'm fair. I'm a good person. And I think that's key is, first of all, finding like-minded people. It doesn't matter who you are or what your, what your motivations are. If you surround yourself with scumbags, you're going to have problems. So similarly, scumbags, scumbags, 
good people attract good people. Uh, and then go out and do your research. So the reason I got into this, I mentioned Michael Levitin, who uh, Michael Levitin, you know, uh, opened Lumiere in 99. He won Food and Wine's Best New Chef in 2000 when Lumiere was young. And, and it just happened that my folks who are from Newton went to Michael's restaurant all the time and they introduced us. And Michael, in turn, being, you know, top of the local industry was able to interview and find Michael was the, uh, was the uh, uh, executive chef and we needed a chef to cuisine. And that's when he found across New England, a, a gentleman named Jeff Pond. Now Jeff Pond, I can't say enough good stuff about Jeff. Jeff and I have known each other now for a decade. We are not only business partners, we are close, close friends. And what linked Jeff and I was this mutual respect for one another, what we did, but also just to do the right thing. Be a good person. Take your ego out. Do what you do. Love what you do. But be successful. But 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 don't let the success or anything drive. Let the product drive your success. Don't let your success drive the product. Um, and that's that's sort of what we did. So we had to say that again. Say together. that again. Go back and just say that again, please. Okay. <laughs> let let your let your product drive your success. Don't let your success drive your product. Which actually, now that I say it again, is a pretty good quote. Um, that was off the top. But what I mean by that is I'm not criticizing any, any celebrity chefs for doing what they do. There's, there's celebrity chefs for a reason. But unfortunately, what you've seen happen, and we don't have to name names, but a lot of people have been riding on their accolades for so long that they lost the original mission. They lost the original vision. And quite honestly, they lost the original quality of their product. I mean, think about national, local, whatever it is, how many of these top-line chefs are really doing? Don't misunderstand me. There are great chefs out there who have been hugely successful. But then think about some of the celebrity chefs who just don't do good food. Dude. At all. I'm loving this. So just up to this point on the topic of uh, finding great partners, uh, the keys that you share with us to surrounding yourself with these great people is be good. Just be a good person and surround yourself with other good people and you know, the law of attraction over time, like it's going to compound. Uh, were you going to say something? Yeah. Put, put another way, you know, you asked me earlier about mantras and I gave you that quote, but I got a, I got a daughter who's three years old and I, I tell her constantly, it's not the most appropriate thing to tell a three-year-old, but <laughs> we have a very simple saying in my house. I say it to Ed, don't be a douchebag. Just don't be a douchebag. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it, 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 it's filthy. It, it comes off wrong. But if you just take that in the back of your mind, it'll take you places. And people respect that. Don't be an asshole. Don't be a douchebag. Just right. be a good person. I'll definitely throw that on the list. So be good. Surround yourself with other like-minded people. Don't be a douchebag. Uh, let, the pro- douche <laughs> let the product drive your success. I love that quote, too. And don't lose sight of your original vision and mission um, are some of the key things. And I, I think that, uh, that, that don't lose sight of your vision and mission is like underrated, like especially as you start to grow and you have partners, like it, it's much easier to drift and to get distracted when you have multiple pieces of attention involved in the equation. And it's very important that you all stay focused on the original vision and the original mission. Uh, and, and you're all pulling in the same direction when you have partners. Do you want to yeah, I mean, speak to that at all? Yeah, I mean, listen, Eric, at the end of the day, evolution is a good thing. You should always be evolving your, your, your ideas, your concepts. You should always strive to be better than what you started. But keep that in mind. And also recognize why you're going into the, into the service industry business. There are plenty of people 
and there's nothing wrong with this, who go into the service industry thinking that it's a great way to make money. And quite honestly, you can make good money in the service industry. But if you're going into this industry to put out good products, that should be the end result. The end mm. result should be I'm going to make money off my good product. Yes. It's harder to do. It is more expensive to do. It is more challenging to be quality than it is to not be. It is much easier for me to, uh, uh, instead of starting a whole pizza chain, uh, not a chain, but concept, and doing everything from scratch, it would be much easier and, quite honestly, much more profitable if I took the millions of dollars I spent on the various restaurants and opened a bunch of Domino's franchises, probably would be more profitable. But what, you know, what, why? You know, why do that? Um, that's I, not what I got to do. I want to come back to this. I really do. Cause I think that whole idea of just keeping your focus on the product is huge, but I, I, I kind of want to dive deeper into this conversation of partners, uh, because mm-hmm. it, I mean, in my opinion, um, I think you, you, unless you're Superman or Superwoman, you can't do it without partners. You can't do it well without partners just because there's so many variables. There's so many things you need to be good at to be the best. And it's so hard to do it alone. And it, um, you know, it's, it's funny. I I just recently had, uh, have you heard of Pizza Loves Emily in New York? I have not. I have not, but I just haven't, unfortunately, gotten into New York as as frequently as I'd like to. Well, but they sound great. They're they're crushing it, and they're doing an amazing job in New York. And they're they're new, and they're they just opened three locations in the past two years. And um, uh-huh. we we got on this topic of partners, and they said don't don't have partners. Uh, and I kind of stepped back and I challenged them a little bit. I kind of understand where they're coming from, but here's the thing: they have each other. And they made yeah, an incredible partnership. partnership. And that's, that was my argument. I was like, you guys have each other. Like, what would you do if you didn't have each other? And I think I kind of, kind of spun them a little bit. So let, me, let, me, <laughs> let me define partners because what yeah. they took that as, I didn't hear the interview and I don't know them, but I think what they meant is financial partners. That's very different. Uh, uh, financial capital is very different from human capital. Um, you're going to need investors or not. That's the two ways to open a restaurant. Either you're self-funded or you're going to need investors. Uh, to bring your investors is as actual conceptual partners, I would agree with that comment. That's challenging because you don't want someone who's just in and out of the whim making changes without really understanding the ins and outs and workings of the business. That's different than having people who are your close-knit uh, uh, circle of people. And right now, from a partnership standpoint, I, I tell you, we've got, we've got the secret sauce, so to speak, figured out. So as I, as I mentioned, originally we opened up, there were three of us as, as partners. It was myself, Michael Levitin, and Jeff, the Persephone team. And we had people who we considered also part of this partnership. Um, the same guy, my number one pizza guy in Cambridge, a guy named Jaime, who's still with me, was my dishwasher at Persephone a decade ago. And he took, and this goes back to, you know, why we're successful. He, we closed Persephone. He spent a year working someplace else. And as soon as we said, Jaime, we're opening up a new shop. Would you come back and work for us? He was back in a heartbeat. My pastry chef, Katie Kimball, who's now over at Italy, was my first pastry chef in, uh, at Persephone, uh, carried us through and went, worked for Todd English, worked for a couple other people. And when we opened up area four, said, Katie, come on back. She came on back. Wow. We, people like working for us. And that's, that's what I mean by partnership. I will tell you, we figured out a very important part of that partnership um, somewhat recently. Uh, Michael Levitin, you know, as I mentioned, one of one of Boston's great chefs, owned Lumiere for uh, about 15 years. Um, 
And he, uh, as you may know, recently he sold Lumiere. Uh, uh, he sort of retired away from the uh, restaurant business. And during that transition, as he moved on to new parts, I, I, I bought him out of Area 4. Uh, it, it was, he wanted to do other things, and it was a very amicable split. But he wanted to do other things. So Jeff and I were left together, and we realized what was missing was um, we had a money guy and a concept guy, me. We had a chef in Jeff. But what else do you need in the restaurant business? You need a front of house person. Mm-hmm. And when we brought on a gentleman named Joe Barone, Joe is our director of ops. And he came from, he was most recently uh, with the Lolita group. Uh, but prior to that, he was running when Barcelona Wine Bar was relatively young. He ran, I think, five of their shops. Uh, uh, he, he oversaw four or five of their shops. And so now have that perfect trifecta, the, the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, you know, use, use whatever. I'm Jewish, so I don't know. I don't know how that actually <laughs> goes, the whole Catholic thing. But, you know, you got a guy who's able to deal with the money side and a guy who's able to deal with concepts. You got Jeff, that's me. You got Jeff putting out the most incredible pizza and coming up with recipes and also being able to handle the kitchen because there's a lot of complexities in dealing with the kitchen. Um, and then you got Joe, who's able to run the front of the house. And I would challenge, again, anyone to look at my staffing, and we've got people who have been with us for years. I mean, if you're at a, if you're at a restaurant for a year, that's a long time in this industry. When I say years, I, I mentioned we've had people who have been with us since before we opened the restaurant. Um, you know, we've had and our GM at Troy, a guy named uh, – at, at the Boston shop, a guy named Tyler, uh, was with us for a year in Cambridge before we opened up – Boston. He's been with us in Boston. We're coming up on a year. He's more for a year. He's like two years in Cambridge. And he used to work with Joe over at Lolita. So it's this interconnectivity of people that really drives the success. Yeah. So the other big thing that I'm getting from the success of your partnership is knowing your lane, knowing your strengths, staying in it and finding partners who are strong where you're weak and really delivering the big package. Yeah, as I said earlier, don't be afraid of people who are smarter than you. I mean, listen, listen. how many chefs do you know? You've been doing this a long time. You've been in and out of the service world. How many chefs do you know that think they know the front of the house? Think about that. You know a ton. You know a ton <laughs> of chefs, chef-owned operations who think they can run in the front of the house. And you know what? Some can. Most can't. There's a reason chefs are in the kitchen. Yeah. Some anyways. Yeah. Um, you know, that's their skill set. Their skill set is putting out the product. And yeah, there's some great table touching chefs out there. Don't misunderstand me. There's some very, very personal people. But generally speaking, the guys in the back of the house shouldn't be running the front of the house and vice versa. You don't want the most talented manager in the world back there cooking up your chicken. They may have a little bit of skills, but that's not their skill set. So know your, what your skill set is and find the people where you're lacking. Beautiful stuff. And uh, I think we can wrap it up there as far as the topic of partnerships, yeah. unless there's anything else that crossed your mind that you think we need to know as far as what makes a successful partnership. No, no, just I, I think we've summed it all up. Cool. I'm happy to move on. You, you know my feelings. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> products. OK, uh, this is another key thing that you said that I really want to pull out and focus on uh, focusing on the product product and just. What did you, I mean, I can't remember exactly what you right, said. Ask, Go ahead. Well, let me, let, let me ask you this. You ever, you ever looked at a Domino's website to see what's in their pizza? What's in their pizza dough? I'm proud to say I've never looked at a Domino's website. I mean, <laughs> I, it, 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 it's gross, right? And if you look at most pizza shops, even your mom, pa shop, it, in, in its most basic form, there's a couple of things that are added to pizza dough that make it easier to work with. You got your basics. You got your flour. You got your water, you got your salt, you got your packaged yeast, and then you've got typically 
olive oil or some type of oil and sugar added to the dough to make it super pliable. Uh, and that's, that's sort of when you see guys flicking pizza in the air and doing tricks and, 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 and singing old Italian songs in a New York street. I mean, that's what they got. They got, they got a lot of stuff in there to make the dough work like that. Mm-hmm. It's also the reason when, when you get your, you know, spice shop pizza the next day and it's cold, it's still kind of fluffy cause it's all greasy. So that's fine. I'm not going to criticize anyone for using additional products, but um, it, you know, if you ask my guys, it's not cheating, but there's, there's a better way to do it. And unfortunately the better way to do it is a harder way. Yep. Of doing it. So we've only got four ingredients in our pizza dough. There's flour, there's water, there's salt. And when everyone else uses a, um, not everyone, but most people use a package yeast that you can buy in, in, in your typical grocery store. We've got a sourdough starter. Mm. Um, now, you, you know enough about, uh, about baking to know how a starter is made, and I don't need to explain it to you, but I will tell you our sourdough starter is over 16 years old at this point. And you do know that this is a living, breathing thing that we feed every day for 16 years. Jeff started this in his old job when he, when he was when he was asked to start a bread program at his, at his old shop before we met. And he's kept this little bit of dough alive in anticipation or starter alive in anticipation of opening a pizza shop. And that's, that's, that's it right there. It's harder to work with. Um, it's, it's a 36 hour rise time from the time we make the dough, uh, before, before we even cook it. Uh, it's a, it's a labor of love, but what does it mean? It means we take a, a, a baker's approach to pizza. Dough shouldn't just be, a vehicle for sauce and cheese, which I think a lot of people think pizza is. It, really, the sauce and cheese or whatever you're putting on should complement the dough, mm. not the other way around. It's basically, we don't think of it as like a boat for toppings. It's basically bread with good stuff on top of it. And when you go to you know the best pizza places, name your best pizza places in the country, in Boston, whatever, most of them are doing that. Most of them are using real product, and it's real hard to do. Um, and that's, that's, that's what I mean by, by, by the quality of the product. And yeah. Similarly, you know, there's, there's a whole farm to table movement. I get that. Um, Michael Levitin got us involved in this very, very early on. Michael was the former board chair of the Chef's Collaborative, which was, you know, it's a national organization that, that strives to bring farmers and restaurants together. So we got on relatively early. I mean, even in the Persephone days, we were using sustainable local products as much as possible. That was the most important thing to Michael and something we still continue. Organic is good. Local is better. Um, and so we know our farmers. We know our purveyors. Not everything is farm to table. Um, you know, we're not using double zero flour that some people insist you need to use in your pizza dough. We're using, you know, pretty standard off the shelf flour products, but, but we're, we're using the products in the right way. Um, and, and again, whenever possible, we're getting the, the best, the best damn ingredients. Beautiful. Uh, so listening to you talk, uh, it reminds me of like two sayings and there are two sayings that kind of, uh, counteract or like, you know, go against each other. And that first thought is, you know, do the work and do it the hard way in like, uh, like really like lean into the work. And then a lot of people think that's the way to success, not avoiding the work, but really just doing it the hard way, putting in the effort and being the best at what you do. And then there's the other people, the other school of thought that's like uh, work smart, not hard. So uh, when, where do you draw the line with when to choose to do the work the hard way and when to, to be smart and really put a system Absolutely. or like, where do you draw that line? You said it. You said it. And and that quote that you mentioned isn't you know work work smart not hard isn't that different from the Jizza the Jizza quote I gave you earlier. And you already said the answer. It's about systems. It's putting systems in place. It's um 
our guys are essentially factories at this point for making pizza and other product. If you go to the Area 4 menu, uh, any of our restaurants, we change our menu because it's the right thing to do and you don't want the same thing on every single day. But the core of our menu stays the same. The pizza's the pizza. It doesn't matter, you know, whether fall, winter, summer, spring. You're going to have some changes in toppings, but the pizza's the pizza. The hardest thing is the dough, and my guys are a factory. We've got a really, really great system. So working hard doesn't necessarily there may not be a smarter way than to work hard sometimes you know sometimes you got to do that there's no there's 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 no workarounds for for making something by hand it doesn't matter what your industry is so if you're going to make a table all right you're going to build a table yes you can certainly get a bunch of tools uh and 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 factories and make your table and spin it out. But look at Ikea furniture. What are you going to get? Your garbage versus, you know, some antiquity that's been around since the 1700s that was made by hand. There's a difference there. So it's just, everything in life is balanced. So it's finding that balance between being able to put out the right product and doing the work by hand, but also doing by the work by hand in a way that makes it workable. Um, you know, we've got, we're not mixing dough by hand. We've got a massive industrial mixer that's mixing the dough. You know, it's not like yeah. I'm churning butter. Um, uh, but, there, but there is a process. Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to chime in real quick. And I think, you know, yeah. you said the, the word that stuck out to me is there's a balance. Uh, and you, when do you choose to work hard and not smart? When working hard is going to make whatever it is you're doing the best. What, what you, you never want to sacrifice quality for, uh, you know, uh, efficiency or uh what's the word oh man uh quality over expedience you know like yep and that's when you 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 find the balance like if it means being the best and doing the thing if it means doing it this way the hardest way is the way we're going to do that but it's going to be the best then that's when you don't sacrifice uh expediency for quality uh yeah, and, and that's would, what I'm hearing. You from know, you. And I would argue. Yeah, and I, I agree. And I would argue that you know the quote's a little misleading because when you say work smarter, not harder, being smart is hard, man. <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> is. Smart. Yeah, yeah, it's true. You know, there's a lot of dumb people taking. I, I think that you know working faster may be working dumber for the same for the same reason. It's it's hard to do. Mm. There's a reason nobody. You know, people talk about pizza robots and da da da. There's this guy. I don't know if you've, you've read about it, one of these Silicon Valley guys is, is starting a fleet of robot pizza makers. Um, have you heard about that? I have I not. I have not. Oh, it's crazy. I don't remember if he's a former Amazon guy, but he's a relatively young guy. He's, you know, made a bajillion dollars in the internet and, and working for Facebook or whatever, Amazon, whatever it is. And so he's turning his attention to, um, to pizza. And so he's developing, you know, using all the hot buzzwords, uh, autonomous driving, pizza delivery, blah, blah, blah. And basically he's coming up with a fleet of self-driving trucks that'll cook a pizza in the back and deliver it to your house. Now, yeah, that's really cool. It also costs hundreds of millions of dollars to set something like that up. Mm. But at the end of the day, it's super cool. I agree. That's amazing. And the pizza will probably be fine, but it'll never be good as the pizza that I'm going to give you. And it's yeah. impossible to do that with a machine. Yeah. Uh, another thing, too, about this whole product uh, first and focusing on the product, uh, I feel like w when we are successful and we start to grow, our focus gets off the product and goes towards growth. And you kind of alluded to this to this earlier, like you could have done it a different way where you could have like done a, like a chain, but instead you're focusing on doing, focusing on the product and being the best at what you do. Uh, do you want to talk to us about, you know, why it's so important to stay focused on the product and the thing it is that you do and to not get distracted by your success and growth and, uh, not losing sight of what mattered in the first place. 
Well, well, again, and, and this is this is my opinions on this. This isn't a criticism of other people because there are plenty of people there who are doing good product with the end goal of creating a chain. Uh, and that's fine. That's their business model. For us, though, we wanted to be more than a pizza shop. We didn't want to just be a series of pizza shops. We wanted to be restaurants, full-service, sit-down experience. Uh, uh, and so for us, it was very important to maintain that consistency throughout all of our shops. And that's that's sort of the thing that I I get very frustrated with in a lot of restaurants is the lack of consistency. Mm. I, I would almost prefer that you're consistently bad than if every now and again I come in and it's an amazing experience, but most of the time it's bad. Just I want to know what I'm getting into. So listen, everyone's going to have an off night. I'm not going to. I'm not. I could never promise 100% consistency across every night of Area Four. But generally speaking, you know what you're going to get at Area Four, and if we screw it up, we're going to fix it. Um, so that consistency is key, and that consistency is harder the more shops you have. And it's um, it's harder when the the work you do is the hard way. You can't be consistent yeah. when you're choosing the you know the hard path to do it the best you can do. It's hard to recreate that. So uh, you know, I'll, 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 I'll did I derail you. Uh, I'm sorry if I did. No, 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 no. You're 100 right. I'll make it. I'll, I'll give you a Boston analogy that uh, that that I think you can appreciate. Uh, Eric, how old are you? I am 31. All right, so still a relatively young man, but I think, and you're a New England native, I assume. Yes. Do you remember when Dunkin' Donuts used to bake the donuts in house, like every Dunkin' yes. Donuts shop? Do you remember that? Way remember back that? in the day, yeah. Chain restaurant, chain as chain as chainy as chainy you get Dunkin' Donuts. But think about the donuts of your youth, and yeah, it's 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 tempered a little bit by by time and you know nostalgia for the youth but think about the dunkin donuts you think about the dunkin donuts when dunkin donuts was making donuts in-house versus the dunkin donuts that get shipped there and eat them now it's a world of difference mm-hmm. right and that and dunkin donuts nobody would argue that they are not a greater success financially now than they were back in the 80s uh certainly greater but but consistency is hard when doing something like that and so they systemized they systemized everything uh and and different systems and what we put in place we put in systems to be consistent and to work with what we got they put in systems to expand and i'm not saying it's right i'm not saying it's wrong it goes back to the point i made initially which is think about the reasons you're getting into the restaurant business and stick with those reasons you know if you're there to make money go for it man all credit for you you know set up your chain do your thing you know Sweet green, bless those guys, man. They they knocked it out the park with a with a simple concept, and they're doing it, doing it, doing it, and they're able to do it after salmonella case after salmonella case. It's amazing, you know. <laughs> um, but stick but stick with why you're doing it. If you want to be a chain, be a chain. That's great. Go for it. If you want to be a restaurant, if you want to be a restaurant group, or you want to have one restaurant, or you want to have three restaurants, you want to have a dozen restaurants. Doesn't matter what it is. Just think about what why you started doing it, and don't really lose sight of that, even as you evolve the process and evolve the brand. So it's not just consistency in the product, but it's also consistency in the why. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Beautiful. Uh, There's no right or wrong answer, but I, just stay true to yourself. I am curious. Um, on your opinion, because you went from one location to two to three. Uh, when did you know it was time to expand and how, how did you know you'd be ready? So a um, couple things. One, going back to what your initial vision was for me, I would never be content with a single area four and for the rest of the team as well. One was not in the cards on the flip side to that. 12 isn't in the cards either. When you and I talk again in a decade, there will not be 12 area fours out there. There may be half a dozen, uh, but there will not be that many. So uh, with the restaurant business, you get certain economies of scale if you can figure it out appropriately and figure out said systems. 
Um, so we started thinking relatively early about how we could leverage off what we have because we were in some ways over, we had built a kitchen in Cambridge that was over capacity for what we were doing with the idea being that it could be a mini commissary, pardon me, a mini commissary for future growth. Um, that Somerville shop, which shows me that it's gone. I love that shop. We had a pizza place, A4 Pizza, uh, right in Union Square. Um, it was a tiny shop. It was a 36 seater. This day, it was my, it's my favorite restaurant I've ever opened. Um, and, uh, and it was relatively close to Cambridge. You know, from Cambridge to Somerville, it was a 10, 15-minute long drive. Uh, it was a small spot, like I said, 36 seats. I think the whole restaurant was 1,400 square feet. Uh, it was a bar that served canned beer and hard liquor, no mixed drinks. Uh, if you wanted, a, it was great. If you wanted a margarita, <laughs> we'd, give, we'd literally give you a shot of tequila and a grapefruit soda. And the bar extended to the kitchen. And the, and the only cooking apparatus we had was a wood-fired oven, right? It was simple. But again, we could make the dough in Cambridge. Uh, we had capacity there. And it was, it, was, it was an easy do. The rent was cheap. It was a relatively inexpensive build-up. It just made sense to grow, particularly in, in, in Union Square. One thing I will give us credit for, um, and again, I think this has a lot to do just with my background is we can pick neighborhoods. So when you think about the neighborhoods that in, in my career I've picked, sometimes a little too early, I admit, but we were in Fort Point in 2007. Look at Fort Point now. We were in Technology Square in Cambridge and Kendall Square in 2011. We were the first real restaurant there. Look at Kendall Square now. Look at Union Square in Somerville now. Again, first real restaurant there. And now in the ink block, um, it's still coming. There's a couple of great restaurants there. We weren't the first. Barmazana beat us to, to that one at this location. Yeah, still, Jefferson, early on. Jefferson was a past guest on the show. I got to follow up with him. Jefferson Macklin? Yeah. Barmazana? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's an interesting area, but we're there early. But that's part of what we do. We get in early. We get, we get relatively inexpensive rent. Uh, and we know that it's going to be a tough go the first year. I guess jumping, jumping very quickly, life lesson right here for anyone listening and, and who thinks they want to go into this industry. I cannot stress enough, almost more important than partners, the most single most important thing about the restaurant industry, number one, is to be sure that you are well capitalized. You, have, you need more money than you could possibly think you need because if things don't go right right off the bat, and they never do, you need to make sure that you've got enough money to sustain losses for those first, hopefully not very long. Hopefully it's a couple of weeks, but I've, I've heard horror stories of restaurants that spend a year building out. They go to open and they're closed within a month because they just didn't have enough capital to ride the wave. Um, especially in today's market where rent is higher than it's ever been. Uh, labor is higher than it's ever been. And people are spending less money and are more dollar conscious. You need to have that additional piggy bank. Uh, otherwise, you're, you're, you're writing a, a check for failure. Yeah, you need to be cash heavy. You need that cash there. And the other thing, too, is if you start making decisions decisions because of cash, because it might not be the, the right decision that is aligned with your mission or your vision or your brand, but it, ha- it means cash coming in, but that pulls you off of the original course. Like You don't want to make yeah. decisions because you need money. You, you want to make decisions because they're right for your brand, right for your vision, and being cash heavy keeps you on course. Uh, it's so important. Um, yeah, so 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 a, a numbers lesson that we learned uh, and we fixed it. You know, as I said, we were we were early in Cambridge, we were early in Kendall Square. That first year was a was a rough go for us. We've we've more from year one to uh, uh, to now, our top line growth is greater than a hundred percent. 
we have wow. more than doubled our sales volumes, wow. uh, which is which is which is impressive because it wasn't terrible, uh, and that's not like faltering. We had perfectly respectable numbers, but we've really we've really upped them. And one of the early internal discussions we had is as we you know we were capitalized, but we were certainly struggling the first first few months. Is what do we do? Do we try and cut labor? Do we try and cut expenses? Or do we try and figure out ways to grow top line growth? And as tempting as it is to cut expenses, and sometimes you have to, you don't want to waste money. Don't misunderstand me. You don't want to spend money that you don't need to spend because this is a nickels and dimes business. I mean, when you think about any other business where if you're getting a 10 to 15 percent uh, uh, bottom line, um, you know, sales sales figure. Uh, that's that's huge in the restaurant industry. If you're getting 15%, that's awesome. Any other business, that's laughable. That's laughable bad. You know, my margins in the retail business were I think 40 to 50%. So to get 10 to 15, that being a huge success, it's crazy. <laughs> but the lesson we learned was that it doesn't always top line revenue cures all ills. And so if you're cutting dollars to try and fix that bottom line, but you're sacrificing your ability to raise top line revenue you're going to get yourself into a pickle. Yeah. Um, so the original question was, how do you know when it's time to grow? And that's right. when you have, no, that's this, uh, you answered it well. Like you need the cash, you need the cash to be there to be able to grow. Like you don't want to grow too big where you don't have the cash to be able to uh, sustain that growth uh, is I think kind of like the, the full. S- let me, let me tell you a life story. So as I mentioned, uh, uh, real estate <laughs> business is where I started and, and I'm, I'm, I'm still in the real estate business. Um, you know, area four is a passion. I love it. Uh, but six, seven years into it, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to say that, um, the vast majority of my time is not spent on location. Although I'm still spending, you know, 15, 20 hours a week, the vast majority of my time is in, is in the real estate world. And uh, I'm fortunate enough that, that we're, we're a family business. It's a family real estate business. I know it's shocking for a Jewish guy to tell you we're in a family real estate business. <laughs> but, um, uh, um, uh, but, but, yeah, I started this real estate company back in the late 60s. And they did very, very well. And the secret to their success, which is a lesson that I always took with me, is that whenever there was an opportunity to, to take money out of the business, they put it back into the business. They, they looked for long-term returns as opposed to the short-term gains. Mm. So if, you're, if you've got, let's say you've got a killer concept, right? And, and you find that you got an extra arbitrary number, 100 grand of cash flow coming to you. Don't buy a fancy car. Don't be an idiot. Because you don't know how long it's going to last. Take that hundred grand, put it back in the business, leverage off of it, and grow your business. If it takes you, you know, if you're not getting the same returns in two years, within five years, you'll be getting double what you would, or whatever. You know, they're arbitrary numbers. But take that money and take a good portion and reinvest it back into your business to yes. allow it to grow. And that's going to be the number one driver to tell you when it's time to grow. Yeah, I love it. Beautiful stuff. And man, like there's always so much to talk about. And I look at the clock. We're at 47 minutes now recording time. Oh. Well over an hour of our agreed upon time because of all the hiccups we hit along the way. How are you doing on time right now? I, listen, Eric, like I said, I am right now I'm in Richmond, Massachusetts <laughs> in a tiny little cabin in the woods that I bought a decade ago. I got a I got a sleepy dog next to me. I got rain <laughs> dripping. My wife's got my kid. Uh, there's nothing to distract me. I don't even have a television out here. I'm good. So whatever you need from time, I'm good. Yeah. So uh, on that topic of growth, uh, when do you know as far as I mean, you kind of cover the financial part of growth. What about people? What about because like, we're only as good as our people. So how do we know 
I think a lot of times when people grow, they don't have the people to fill the new roles and then they end up spreading themselves too thin because they're trying to be everywhere. So how do we avoid that? So what I like about this interview is that there's a lot of, it's, it's a full circle narrative going on here. And this wasn't intentional, but it turns out I'm an incredible interviewee. Uh, <laughs> so, so it goes back to what we discussed earlier, my comment about don't be a douchebag, surround yourself with the right people. Mm-hmm. And what you want to do is you want to, whenever possible, listen, there's not enough people in an individual restaurant to sustain unlimited internal growth. But whenever possible, if you can promote within, that's a win. But the only way you can promote from within is if people are there long enough to drink the proverbial Mm. Kool-Aid. So I gave you an example earlier where we opened uh, the Boston restaurant. We were very fortunate that we had um, Tyler, our manager in Boston, uh, we, we had a couple guys working under him who he was able to train up. One of the guys took over Tyler's GM role and Tyler, who was our most senior guy was able to jump over to Boston to run that in the kitchen. Um, we, we, uh, which I would argue is much more challenging than, than front of the house these days. Kitchen, kitchen is, is tough, but we were fortunate. We had, um, a guy who actually worked with us in Somerville. He was our pizza guy in Somerville, our, our head chef there. And, and, and when we had the fire, um, we took on a little extra cash uh, uh, needs in order to keep him on. We paid him to keep him on because we knew we were going to open Boston. So listen, it cost us some money, but for relatively short money, we were able to retain a highly, highly, highly qualified, talented guy and continue to train him up in anticipation of the different stuff we were doing in Cambridge. And then we moved Mikey over to, to, to Cambridge. I'm sorry, to, uh, to Boston. Um, so that's part of part of the issue is is um, uh, uh, hiring within. The other thing too, though, is you want to make sure that that's from a leadership standpoint. Hire within from leadership. Obviously, if you can hire within, the more the better. But your leaders have to be strong. Um, and again, even though they may not be financial partners, I consider them partners. And I consider everybody. I have a saying, and I tell all my guys this. It doesn't matter what your role is in the restaurant. It doesn't matter if you're, quote unquote, at the bottom or top of the ladder. It doesn't matter if you're me. It doesn't matter if you're a chef. It doesn't matter if you're a server. It doesn't matter if you're a dishwasher or anywhere in between. We all have the same job description. Our job description is every single person who walks through our door, we have got to make them happy. It's very Mm -hmm. simple. That's what we do. Now, we all do it different ways and we have different responsibilities, but that idea of, of, partnership and teamwork is so important in the restaurant business. And, and it, it, again, it goes, listen, there's always going to be a hierarchy in the kitchen. Things don't work. If, and, and, and front of house as well. Things don't work if there isn't a guy at the top. Uh, uh, but you need to let everyone work their way, do their thing, give them enough rope to do their job appropriately, and they will stick around. So that's sort of how you retain people with regard to hiring new people. It's a challenge. It is so hard right now. Ask, Anyone on your show, they'll tell you. Oh, it comes thing. up every episode. It's tough. Oh, it's nuts. It's nuts. <laughs> but, but if you're going to invest in a person, right, the worst thing that can happen is you say, okay, I'm going to take a risk on you. You're a new guy. I'm going to make you a server. You're a new girl. I'm going to make you a chef. Uh, and three weeks into it, you're like, ah, shit, this is not working out. And then you got to go through the whole process and the gears slow down. So you want to make sure that your people at the top have the ability to hire the appropriate people, which again is why I don't think that if you're the chef, you should be hiring the manager. I don't think that if you're the manager, you should be hiring anybody on the line. Yeah. Uh, know your job roles and, and know what your skill sets are. Again, the, the power of partnerships, knowing just like those people know their lane and they know other people that will work in that lane. Uh, 
powerful yep. stuff. And man, uh, there's, I, I, there's one other thing I wanted to bring up uh, before we ask for a failure and move on to the speed round, which won't be very long. Uh, you yep. do pizza, but you also do coffee. You're also a cafe in the morning, right? Or, or did yep. I, so I think that gets people into trouble sometimes when they try to do two separate things in the same space. Um, how did you work that to your favor? How are you doing that well? It got us into trouble, and we fixed it, uh, in all honesty. So so what happened was is when we looked at the space in Cambridge, in Kendall Square, we saw an opportunity because we saw, holy cow, this is there's going to be a lot of development here, and it happened. There was already a lot of biotech lab space, but there was no coffee. The closest coffee space was a Starbucks, like four blocks down in Kendall Square. So we had a choice to make. We could either use the space and, uh, uh, and make it more bar space, or we could come up with a slightly different concept. Now, we were fortunate because we already had some good um, ex- external partners. Um, Barrington Coffee Roasters, located right here, the beautiful Berkshires, Western Massachusetts, uh, are good friends of ours. We've used them for, for years. So we knew that we had a great partner in, in coffee. We, are, we strictly do Barrington. For a while, we were doing a guest roaster, but at the end of the day, we realized that Barrington is the best. We love these guys. We love their products, so we at least Barrington call. Um, so we had a partner in coffee. We're going to open up the product, but also the equipment, and teach us everything we needed to know about the espresso and coffee business. I pitched uh, a young lady named Katie Kimball earlier, who's now the head pastry chef at Italy. Katie was with us at Persephone. She came over to Area 4 and with the idea that we had an experienced pastry chef, a very, very experienced pastry chef, running our bakery. This was a big uh, debate for us at the time, was do we buy our product, which most coffee shops do, or do we make it? And it was challenging because we decided to go quite literally the hard way. And this is one that I would argue – at the time, was not the smart move. It would have been easier, better to just buy product. Uh, and we could have found some really, really great purveyors. But we stuck with it because we thought it was important to the brand and the perception that we make everything in-house. Mm. And, you know, six years later, um, it's, it's, it's been a successful, uh, a very successful coffee program and bakery program. I think on a per square foot, we're on sales numbers equal to any major Starbucks Um it's astronomical what this what this tiny little coffee shop does, uh, but that's that that was a real estate play because we knew what what was needed in the neighborhood. We filled the gap. Uh, you'll notice that we don't have any other coffee shops. Uh, we tried to do a coffee kiosk; it didn't really work. I'm not opposed to the idea of additional coffee shops because I actually really like them. But as we were getting into this idea. I mean, think about all the local little coffee shop chains and coffee shops opening up left and right. And we wanted to go back to focusing on our core business. So that's not to say we won't do any more coffee shops in the future, because I think we are uniquely positioned uh, to be one of the few places that can successfully have an all-day experience. We've got people who come in for coffee in the morning, pizza for lunch, and chicken for dinner. They can come three meals a day, no problem, multiple days a week. Um, I'm not saying we're over it, but we've really focused on the – the, the restaurant side and you know if an opportunity presents itself we find the space to do a coffee shop i think we'd i think we'd do it again um just in this in the most recent uh, opportunities we've had they just haven't presented themselves. so it kind of sounds like you were set up you had the kind of the perfect storm where uh the the market needed coffee you had people on staff in-house who you didn't need to take anybody new on to be able to do it well so you serve that need 
but yeah. that's that was very specific to the location, and you took the opportunity, and it's working well. But you wouldn't do that anywhere else, is what you're saying? No, no, not, not necessarily. If the, if the opportunity presents itself, I'll give you an example. Our shop in the South End, that's relatively new. We opened it up uh, in the New Ink Block area, and there's a really great coffee shop called Cup of Coffee. Uh, they've got one sort of near the garden. They're, they do a great product, and there were two there were two retail spaces in this building we're in. One side was a small coffee shop space. One side was a larger restaurant space. A cup of coffee was before us. We're not, for a number of reasons, obviously we wouldn't open a coffee shop and compete with our neighbor. I mean, not only is it, I mean, there's the legal reasons of, of you know, they had lease restrictions and what we could do. But going back to my favorite term, don't be a douchebag. Why would I do that? You know, it's mm-hmm. just not a thing to do. I wouldn't, it's not helpful to anybody. If hypothetically a cup of coffee had picked a different space and wasn't there, we may have very well said, you know what, this is a great opportunity to do another coffee shop and restaurant combo. We may have done that if, if it was something that we wanted to do and the landlord wanted to do. So again, I'm not saying it's off the table. It just has to be, we have to see the need for it in order to do it. Heard. What I'm not trying to do is open up, spin off a series of standalone coffee shops that's not on brand. What is on brand is having an all day experience. Got you. Beautiful stuff. Uh, I think we're good actually to go to the break now. Um, Cause you kind of dove into a little bit of a failure there and you kind of talked about how you made it right again. So I think we're good there. We're going to take a break to uh, thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. You did mention that there was a failure in there, right? I mean, I think I kind of caught it with the, the baker. Uh, listen, the failure, the failure quite honestly was you don't get a bigger failure than closing a restaurant Persephone. Um, and there were a number of failures there. Listen, we had a great restaurant. We lost a lot of money uh, and it's closed. It's now a separate restaurant. Um, that was the failure. The, the, the takeaway from the failure was we talked about at the very beginning. That's how we got into this conversation. Beginning. <laughs> Learn your lessons, you know, see the silver lining. In my case, it was, I had great partners. I liked the restaurant business. I didn't like the retail business, but we made a lot of mistakes in that Persephone restaurant that we would not repeat here. And the lesson we learned again, and, and then we can jump to sponsors, but the lesson we learned made it the biggest one was that, um, Listen, if there's any industry that gets hit hard when the recession turns, it's restaurant industries. That's where people immediately don't go out to eat. So what we learned is that create a product that people are that people want and are able to afford regardless of the economic situation. Our pizza is quote unquote expensive pizza, but you're still getting out of there for much cheaper than most restaurants in Boston, much less expensive than most restaurants in Boston. So we learned a lot about the economy. And I'm going to tell you something. This is my prediction for you right now. Uh, life is about cycles. And we're coming to the end of a boom era. Uh, I would argue that this economic boom we've been experiencing is well past its time to, to, for a downturn. We're going to see a downturn. And with the same sort of incredible pace that restaurants have been opening, you will see restaurants closing rapidly over the next two years. You know who you will not see closing? You will not see Area 4 closing. Mm. Okay, now we're going to break. We'll be right back. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, guys, so if you're listening to this podcast, you're likely a restaurant or bar owner who wants to be a better leader, who wants to make more money, who wants to be more successful, who wants to work smarter, not harder, and you just want to be great, which means you know you can never stop educating yourself. If that sounds like you and you want to learn how to attract more new customers and get a competitive edge over your competition, sounds pretty good, right? Then you need to listen to this message. You got to listen. Just ready for it. Here it is. Leading industry expert, 
Nick Fosberg and past guest of Restaurant Unstoppable wrote what I believe to be the best how-to book on attracting new customers and creating highly profitable promotions on a shoestring budget. And because you're Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, he's going to give you this book not for $30 on Amazon, but you're getting it for free. Yeah, free. Go to freebrsbook.com right now and get a copy. Again, that's freebrsbook.com. Get your free copy while supplies last. Do you use a wait list when you've got more guests than tables? Maybe your lobby's just cramped or there's a line going out the door. Well, first off, way to go. Good for you. Your food rocks. People love you. Secondly, there is an easier way. Let's talk about No Wait. It's an app because today, let's be honest, everything's an app, but this app really will make your customers' lives easier. No Wait handles your wait list digitally. It makes it easy for customers to add themselves from anywhere. Then it tells them when to head to your restaurant to get seated with as little weight as humanly possible. It's a VIP experience that guests love and it brings them back again and again. That means no more unhappy campers passing you up to go someplace else less busy. You're busy because you earned it. Check out noway.com slash unstoppable for a special offer just because your restaurant unstoppable listeners. That's noway.com slash unstoppable. Don't let success steal your customers away. We're back. And the first question I have for you, Michael, is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Uh, My personality and my sense of design. What is your biggest weakness? My personality and my sense of design. (laughs) Okay. I love that you said that because I do believe that your strengths are often your biggest weaknesses. So why dive into that a little bit? So, uh, I, uh, listen, I, I have a, I've been told I have a big personality. Um, and I also, no. part of that is, I'm, I know, I know, <laughs> but, 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 but there's a lot of ideas happening and it's not in the mind. And I can also I, ask Jeff, ask Joe, ask anyone, I can go off on tangents and some of them are good tangents. Some of them are bad tangents. Um, and so the, the excitement I get uh, over certain ideas can sometimes lead us down a dark path. Uh, fortunately, we don't always follow through. Again, one of the reasons to have partners is to balance out your imperfections. Um, so, so that's that's sort of what I mean by personality. It's never really gotten me into trouble, but I but I but I, I have a vision of what I want to do, and sometimes I don't think of the path to get there, uh, and that's why I have partners to say, well, dial it back, Mike. That's not the best idea. So that's what I mean by personality. Sense of design. Again, I I, I really do like nice things. I like nice design. I like clean lines. I think a lot about this in every aspect of my life, my house, my business, my, you know, whatever the sneakers my kid puts on when she goes to preschool, whatever it is. Um, but sometimes my design and my sort of need to get things right is expensive, which is a tough thing to do in the restaurant business. So we had, I'll give an example in, in Boston. Um, we spent probably, maybe five to 10% over budget because of design screw ups that were, were not directly my fault, but were a result of my need to get certain things. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Got you. Uh, yeah, I get that. So, uh, the next question I have for you is what is uh, one piece of advice for leading others? What is one piece of advice for, sorry, for leading others? Yeah. Leadership. Um, I think, I think, 
first and foremost, treat people like adults. You know, there's a saying, give them enough rope to hang themselves with, meaning give them, give them enough rope to let them do their thing. They have to feel like nobody wants to be, regardless of their position in the restaurant industry, no one just wants to see this as a mindless labor. You've got to give people the, the, the ability to be creative within a box. All right. So you don't want to you don't want to people out of left field. You don't. I, I told you earlier, systems need to happen and there needs to be a hierarchy in the entire restaurant. But give people some input. If a server's got a really great idea to improve the experience, listen to them. If a bartender wants a new cocktail on the menu, listen to them. We let our chefs play around and create new new items on the menu. Listen to your people and you will be amazed at what you will learn that you never thought of. Well, I love it. And uh, what? Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I, it boils down to mutual respect. Beautiful. And uh, when it comes to hiring, what's one question you're asking or thing you're looking for in a hiree? Um, what I look for, there's, you know, there's a series of questions. And, and as I told you, you know, fortunately, I have good partners and I'm slightly removed from the day to day at this point that um, uh, my managers uh, uh, do all the hiring. Probably my, oh, that's my dog barking and my kid walking in the door. Hi, Frankie. Daddy's on a podcast, like the radio. We're a little behind um, schedule. <laughs> that's fine. Um, but what, what we look for are the soft skills that can't necessarily be taught. You can always teach a server how to use a, a POS uh, and how to how to sell specials. What you can't do is teach them personality. Mm. Can you sell carrot for me, Frankie? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I'm eating baby carrot. So nice. So we try and figure out what – we try and find people who, when it comes to servers, for instance – I've got a good personality because you can't teach personality. When it comes to the kitchen, you can't teach work ethic. You know, you yep. can teach systems, but you can't teach work ethic. What is Sorry, your? I'm chomp on this you're, you're good. You're good. Chomp away. Uh, what is one current challenge right now? How are you overcoming it? Well, I think we've discussed every current challenge in the restaurant. Uh, yeah. the, the the big ones are mostly money related. Um, labor is difficult. Uh, finding it, uh, paying for it. But also, just the cost of running restaurants is ridiculous. Boston, see, I don't think people fully understand how expensive Boston is. Um, Boston is the third most expensive city in the country. Do you know that Boston? I did not. Only, yeah, only New York and San Francisco are more expensive than Boston when it comes to housing, when it comes to uh, rent. Um, it's it's incredible how expensive Boston is. Uh, and so, not only is it expensive from a rent, it's also expensive from a build out. So everything, if I was to open a restaurant in Texas, it would cost me half as much. Now I can charge a little more because I'm in Boston, but I can't charge as much as I could elsewhere. And so that, that, that makes it a challenge. Boston is a very, very challenging uh, food city. Okay. So how are you dealing with that? Uh, I, I mean, again, what we've done is we've put out, uh, we, we've stuck with our guns, so to speak. Um, we know what our product costs. We know what we got to pay people. We know what, a build out should cost. And as I mentioned, design can be my fault because we can, we can drift, but we've been doing this for enough and we have the right partners in place in all aspects of what we do that we know what these things will cost before we build them. We capitalize ourselves appropriately and we surround ourselves with good people. I mean, none of this, we've talked about this. None of this is complicated. It's, It's just good product, good people, good space, and it all falls together. Beautiful. Uh, what is one book that's a must read that will make us either a better person or a better restaurant owner? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so I, 
there are a lot of books out there that I can tell you to read from a restaurant standpoint. I mean, obviously that Danny Myers book is the number one restaurant book for blah. Say what you will about Danny Myers. The guy is a genius. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a really great hospitality book, even if it's, it's, it is a little dated. But at the end of the day, find books that speak to you regardless of what they're about, and you will find messages in them. I am uh, uh, a huge fan and have been since college of Sherlock Holmes. Anything uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle wrote about Sherlock, I absorbed and I loved it. And there's even lessons in Sherlock Holmes about observation, about, you know, about, about, how to interact with people in these fictional stories that may or may not be based on any sort of reality, but you could take them with you. I think more importantly than reading books about the restaurant industry is read books about other industries, learn from other industries, from other people in other lives and incorporate it into what you do. I give you books on real estate uh, that would be more helpful to, you know, restaurant people than, than, you know, pick your chef. I'm not going to right now because I'm totally drawing <laughs> blank, but if I could remember any, I would give you some right now. Which Sherlock Holmes was that that you were talking about? Which author? I mean, there's only one author. Don't let anyone kid you. So Arthur Conan Doyle is the only Sherlock Holmes author. There were a bunch okay. written after his death, blah, 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 but he's the only one. And don't watch the movies. Read the books. They're brilliant and i love them all right i'm I'm gonna link to that one in the show notes the original in the show notes this is episode 355 head over to restaurant unstoppable.com slash 355 in uh sherlock holmes is on audio too 62 hours long (laughs) so uh you can check it out there (laughs) uh okay what is one piece of technology you've adopted recently in your restaurant that's really had a big impact on operations uh, profitability i i I can't speak enough about the evolution of the POS. When we opened, we used a microsystem. And you know what? I know I wasn't going to curse, but fuck you, microsystems, <laughs> all right? Because they are the fucking worst. They're antiquated DOS-based systems, and they thought they had something that was undestructible. Uh, they thought they were there, and their system sucked, and they never did anything, and it was a pain in the ass to deal with. We brought on, we've worked with uh, breadcrumb. We've worked with, we're using breadcrumb in our restaurants now. Um, uh, we've worked with, we've worked with toast. I can't remember if we used toast or breadcrumb. So forgive me, toast or breadcrumb. I love you equally. We, we've used you both at some point, but this evolution of the POS where it went from an infrastructure cost of like $20,000 to put in a micro system that was terrible to, you know, a few hundred bucks for a tablet and a Wi-Fi, and you get everything for a few grand and it's a better system. Uh, that's been the number one changer of technology that, and I will give a major, major shout out to caviar because they are the number one numero uno super best delivery service out there um caviar is amazing and and we've been able to get you know from our standpoint we're pizza but we're still a sit-down restaurant so to get that sort of gravy on top of of major takeout orders and not needing the headache of having to pay for insurance for drivers or dealing with issues with product and customer service caviar is the best beautiful and uh breadcrumb and toast are probably two of the most recommended POS platforms uh, yeah. on this podcast. Uh, I love them both and caviar has been getting a lot of love too recently. So got to maybe hit them up to learn more. Uh, okay. With all the knowledge you have now, Mike, if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of business advice, what would it be? So I mentioned the, um, uh, I mentioned we've talked a lot about partners and I mentioned the failure of Persephone uh, and the Achilles project. 
we a lot of it had to do with um, with the timing and the location, and we were just off. Again, I think we would be killing it right now if we were there. But I had a very very bad business partner uh, on the retail side. Not Michael, not Jeff. They were great. Obviously, we're still together. But there was another person who I decided to do this with. And um, he was not a good partner, and I misread him. He was an old buddy of mine, and if I can go back and kick myself in the head, I'd say, don't team up with this person. Find better partners. And that was another one of those lessons that I learned about the importance of finding partners that, that you can trust. Trust is so important in this business. So specifically, was it uh, – what was – like specifically that did not work? He was a crook. He was a crook. Okay. Yeah. At the end of at the end of the day, we that'll do it. The restaurant and and my bank accounts were cleaned out. Um, and uh, uh, he was he was a crook. Uh, uh and still in the lawsuit. So it's that sucks. Um, the other thing, which uh, a life lesson that I've always known, but I'm going to tell everyone out there, uh, and I can tell you from personal experience that this is the right move. Some things in the restaurant business you're always going to have to sign personally for. You're going to have to sign. Coca-Cola won't take anything but a personal guarantee. Never, ever, ever, ever sign personally on a lease. And I will tell you from personal experience why. For a number of reasons, as I said, we had to close Persephone. I made sure that I, I refused to sign a lease if it was personal. When we closed the shop, fortunately, the landlord came after us for the remainder of the rent. That's nine years worth of rent. Uh, it was over a million dollars they wanted, they came after us for. And you know what? I didn't sign personally. The business signed for it. This is not a scumbag move. This is not a cheat. This was a risk that the landlords took on us. It did not work out. So when they came for their million and two dollars, I said, absolutely, you are welcome to the $37 we have in the bank account. And that was the end of it because they couldn't go after me personally. So you never know what's going to happen. Never sign personally on leases or any major purchases. So set up as an LLC and sign up as a limited liability. Beautiful. Great advice. And uh, that's all the questions I have for you today. Uh, You've been awesome. We wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. So who is someone you admire, an independent restaurant operator, someone who is crushing it, someone we can all learn from like we've learned from you today? Oh, Dude, you should talk to my buddy Seiji at Cafe Sushi. Have you spoken to Seiji at Cafe Sushi? I have not. Can you say his name one more time? Um, uh, Seiji Imura, S-E-I-Z-I, Imura, I-M-U-R-A. You are familiar with Cafe Sushi. Cafe Sushi keeps winning Best of Boston for Best Sushi Restaurant in Boston, blah, blah, blah. Um, He's been doing it for – it was his dad's restaurant. They opened in the late 80s, and he took it over. And he is a great story about transforming a family business and taking it from generation to generation and evolving it, not not doing the same thing but staying true to the roots. He is a great example. And no question in my head. Best sushi in the city of Boston. Um, uh, it's creative. It's 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 amazing, and it's and it's it's not complicated. It's just really really good. And he's a super super nice dude. I love everything about Seiji. He's the best. Awesome. And I want to grow up and be Seiji. Seiji, am I saying his name correctly? Seiji. Yeah. Seiji, yeah. look out! I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. And uh, let the folks at home know if we want to come join your team. If we want to come you know, be mentored by your team and learn under your umbrella or just follow you on social media. What's the best way to connect and to, you know, find you have, if you have social handles or anything like that. So we have all of the social handles, which you have in front of you, which they don't give me the power to look at. Hold on. I have them. I think I actually have them on my calendar. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, obviously you can go see us at area four.com. Um, uh, or visit us in person. Um, we're in 
Cambridge 500 Technology Square is the, is the original shop. Uh, Social handles. You spoke to like, I, I, I got it right here. Area for Cambridge, all spelled out. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's it. Nice. Awesome. Uh, and then, of course, come visit us. We didn't even get a chance to talk about the arcade. I hope at one point you'll you'll invite me back and talk specifically about the bar business. But that arcade, man, hidden in the back of the Roxy's Grilled Cheese, 300 Mass Ave uh, in Cambridge, that is a lot of fun. Well, a lot of fun right there. Well, first off, you are always welcome back, man. You crush it today. The energy you brought to this conversation was just epic. Uh, your advice was amazing. Uh, thank you so much for allowing me to make an example of you for just, you know, <laughs> being so open with your stories and just for bringing it, man. You really did bring it today. Uh, th- that's it for today. But uh, there is no well, questioning, Michael. You are unstoppable <laughs> it's, uh, i i appreciate that eric this has been an absolute pleasure uh thank you for having me on uh i look forward to seeing you in one of our restaurants one of these days and i can i can feed you personally and we can we can talk off the mic about life liberty the pursuit of happiness and classic hip hop albums uh, i've been there but i'm coming back so uh look Perfect. out <laughs> all right then we'll cut it there thanks so much cheers michael Krupp killing it here at restaurant unstoppable we had some hiccups early on with technology but we powered through it and it was worth every second some great advice here today and um i think if there's anything i want to share during this these closing thoughts it's the how to attract greatness he he gave us some great tips on how to attract greatness to our restaurants and i love how he started this conversation with just be good, be a good person. It's the law of attraction. It's pretty simple. If you're good, you're going to attract onto yourself other good people and surround yourself with people that have the same values who are like-minded is what he called them. The other thing he mentioned was put the product first, focus on creating a truly amazing product. And if you create something that's truly great, People are going to want to be a part of that. Don't lose your vision and mission was the other thing in regards to how to attract greatness. So important. People don't necessarily buy into what anymore. So, I mean, yes, product is important, like we pointed out, but even more important than product is the why, the purpose behind it all. And that's the direction consumers are going not only consumers but future employees are going in this direction too they want to go work for the restaurant that's doing something special beyond food what's the mission what's driving this restaurant why do they exist that's what's going to attract greatness to your restaurants and then lastly the emphasis you put on partnerships uh finding the right partners and being well balanced having the money person having the kitchen person and having the front of house person have that balance if you have great people in all these lanes you'll attract more great people some great advice today from our guest again michael corrupt thank you so much for coming on the show uh what are the other like i'm looking at my notes right now i think the other really big thing that was worth mentioning now is uh just that that capital uh people start with not enough capital behind them you can never have enough capital behind you. you. You don't want to start chasing money and making decisions based off of disparity. Uh, you want to stay 
true to your mission, your vision, and though it's the, the mission, that vision that's going to determine your decisions, not how badly you need money. So you can never be overcapitalized, cash first, cash heavy all the time. And if you don't have a lot of cash, then you can always control how big you are. Start small and scale up. Uh, great stuff today. Again, thank you so much for coming on the show, Michael. And like always, guys, please do reach out to me, Facebook slash Restaurant Unstoppable, and then on Instagram and Twitter, Eric Cacciatore. Shoot me an email, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. Who do you want to hear from? Who's crushing it in your community? I'll get them on the show. We'll share their story. We'll gather their advice. We'll learn together from these people. Or just tell me what you want to know. Tell me what your your struggles are. I'll find the expert and get them on the show. Uh, and keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. Uh, special shout-out to my boy, Jared. Killing it with the editing and promotion. Helping me out so much. Uh, really going to take the show to the next level. Freeing me up to do some research. To really start digging. To spend the most of my time finding those amazing people to make an example of. And he's really been helping me out on the back end of uh, the website and everything. So a special shout out to Jared. That's it. Thank you guys for sticking around this long and until next time, peace out.